0: Verse 1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. So evidently, some servants of Hezekiah um, found some of Solomon's Proverbs and collected them together and put them in here. After all, did Solomon write very many Proverbs? Yeah. You know, 1 Kings 4 indicates that. He had a bunch. So here are some more that Solomon himself didn't actually compile. These other men compiled them, and they're here. So, two to seven. It
1: is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As the heavens for a height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of a great man. For it is better that it be said to you, Come up here, than for you to be
0: placed lower in the presence of the prince, than your eyes have seen. theme of this section is?
2: Kings.
0: Yeah, Proverbs relating to kings. In verse 2, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You know, God is independent and supreme, and he does not reveal everything to us. How many things does God know that you don't know? You know, a bunch. Now, some of the things that God knows that you don't know, it's just because you haven't studied his word enough to find them out yet. But how many things does God know that there's no way we're ever going to know, at least not in this life, a lot? God, who is all-powerful and all-wise, has not chosen to share everything with us. You know, he's way ahead of us, uh, and that's part of his being God. You know, a great ruler has some things he keeps close to the vest that he conceals. Now the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You know, if you're going to be a good ruler, what do you need? Wisdom. Wisdom. And along with that here, do you need to know a lot of stuff to be a good king? I mean, if you're going to make wise decisions, you need to be well informed about the fact You need to kind of get to the bottom of whatever situation or subject you're dealing with so you'll make a proper decision about it. So kings need to really know their stuff. A good king will surround himself with wise and well-informed advisors that are able to give him really good information, good intelligence about various kinds of things. Uh, You know, makes sense. Really anybody who's going to make wise decisions needs to be well informed before they make the decision. Thoughts and comments on two? In three, what do you see about the king? He's deep, does he reveal everything? No, any ruler, any leader you know, doesn't tell everything. He's going to hide some of his feelings, some of his thoughts, some of his policies. You know, are are governmental leaders totally open about their foreign policy, say? Well, of course not. You know, some of their success in foreign policy depends on they're not telling everybody exactly what they're doing. Can you imagine a king or ruler who would tell the enemy nation exactly where they're going to deploy their troops and, you know, what their strategy is and all that. That would probably not be very good. Then, verses 4 and 5, do you see what his point is in 4 and 5? What does the king need to do? Yes, and I think particularly take away the wicked before the king. That is, a king must dispense with wicked advisors. You don't need bad counsel when you're the king. Your throne is established when you're not listening to the wrong people. Can you think of some kings in the Bible who had bad advisors? Ahazirus. Who? Ahazirus. Yes, Ahasuerus. Good point. What kind of advisors did he have?
1: Haman.
0: <laughs> hey. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Haman, and even before that, kind of the ones who told him what he wanted to hear. Uh, but yeah, Haman was very, uh, had a, uh, you know ulterior motive. Who else in the Bible, Kings, had bad advisors? Hey, um, At yeah, the end of 1 Kings. No. Yes, the court prophets who told him what he wanted to hear. You know, go up and succeed and uh, succeed meant getting shot with an arrow and dying uh, that was not very, not very good very good, those, neither of those two uh, were ones I thought about Rehoboam, he listened to bad advisors, I think of another king who started out having good advisors and ended up listening to bad ones who's that? Yeah, but it's Solomon, I think, it was more himself, although if his wife if wives advised him, maybe that was his downfall. Ahab. Ahab. Josiah? Not Josiah. Joash. Joash. Yeah. Joash started out. Who was his good advisor in the beginning? His Uncle Jehoiada. And but they asked when Jehoiada died, he listened to wrong advisors. I mean think about for us. Even in our lives and spiritually, how much difference does it make who we listen to and who we allow to influence us? You know, make sure you listen to wise, spiritually-minded friends and advisors who tell you what's best for you. Makes a lot of difference. Really, these are wise principles for kings. Thoughts and comments through five?
2: Certainly, Solomon followed this uh, instructions here. He's one of the first couple of chapters in uh, First Kings. Are about Solomon getting rid of
0: mm-hmm. all the bad to go around him. Good point. Yes, that's right. Especially in chapter two. That's exactly right. And David encouraged him to do that because uh, he needed the right kind of men giving him advice. Good point. In six and seven, what's he saying we should not do?
2: Result ourselves.
0: Yes. Do not exalt yourself before the king. Don't try to jockey for power and glory. Uh, instead of you're trying to make yourself have a high position, what's better? Yes. It's much better that somebody else recognizes your character and worthiness and they promote you. What does this passage remind you of? Jesus. Jesus. Remember what he talked about? A wedding. A wedding. And people were doing what? Going into the best seats. Yeah, going to the best seats. And what ended up happening to some of those people? Yeah, somebody had to say, listen, there's somebody more important that's come. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to take, you know, a lower seat. And since everybody's been trying to get the highest ones possible, the only seat left was the one way at the back where everybody was going to see how, you know, humiliated you were. Where did Jesus say that? Anybody remember? It's and very good. It's in Luke. Anybody know the chapter? 17. No, 14, but that's close, yeah. Uh, So that's cool, Um, and and I think we're like that. I mean, you know, think about, you know, in spiritual realms, though this is very applicable in everyday life as well, but have you ever seen anybody in spiritual realms kind of try to promote themselves? I mean, I've known a few cases, this is really bad, but a few cases where people have, like, sort of campaigned to become elders. You know, I I didn't know this personally, but I knew quite well the person who was telling me this, that that a church was about ready to select elders. And all of a sudden, one of the men started visiting people a lot, visiting the hospital a lot, staying after church and talking to everybody and things like that, kind of like a politician would, you know, who's trying to be friends with everybody and get everybody to like him. You know that's terrible but I wonder even if for us sometimes um, are there certain things that get status now many of you probably would feel the opposite but sometimes people are like you know pick me pick me kind of thing like you know somebody needs to maybe be chosen to teach a class or preach a sermon if you're the kind of person who likes to do that then wait for somebody to ask you. Now, if you're the kind of person who really don't enjoy it, but you know it needs to be done, it may be helpful for you to volunteer. But if you kind of like the glory, you kind of like the attention, wait to be asked. You know, and if they don't choose you, well, maybe, you know, you just need to be quiet. Does that make sense? Thoughts and comments? All right, uh, 8 to 10.
1: Do not bring hastily to court for what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame. If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence, for he who hears it may shame you, and you will
0: never lose your bad reputation. Yeah, and 10. Oh, yeah, you got that, okay. Um, well, he's saying... You know, don't be too quick to try to make a decision without all the facts. You know, you go out to argue argue your case with your neighbor, but you don't really know what you're talking about. You just kind of jump to the conclusion, you're gonna get shown up. You know, don't, don't go sue somebody, until you really know what you're doing. After all, you might lose the case. You know, in general, you know, be sure you know what you're talking about before you stick your neck out and, and make some wild, you know, confident affirmation. Because uh, it's going to be gonna look really dumb when you start arguing and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you ever done that? You ever said anything really forceful, and really tried to argue and defend it? And it just became totally obvious you had no idea what you were talking about. My, my son used to say humorously, but it was kind of funny because every once in a while it was true, when he was a teenager especially, he'd say, hardly a day goes by that I don't make some confident affirmation about something I don't know anything about. You know, aren't we like that sometimes? You know, hold back. Um, but then verse 9. Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another. You know, what if you are arguing your case? And it would really help your you to prove your case if you could reveal some secret that somebody else has told you that you're not supposed to tell. If you could tell that it would prove you right. What should you do? Don't tell it. Even if you end up looking wrong, like you're in the wrong, do not betray a confidence. That is not the right thing. You know, it's better to look dumb than to reveal a secret that you're not supposed to reveal. All right, comments or questions on that section. Eleven to fifteen.
1: The word fairly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, is a wise receiver to an obedient ear. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest, is a faithful messenger to those who send them, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Whoever falsely we boast of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. By long Forbearance and ruler is persuaded,
0: and
2: a gentle tongue breaks the
0: bone. Okay. Don't you love the 11 and 12? What's it talking about?
2: Words.
0: What kind of words? It's yes. The right word at the right time. There's nothing better. They're beautiful. You know, you take. A combination in verse 12 of a wise teacher and a willing student. That is perfect. Proverbs says so much about words that should not be spoken. It says so much about damage that can be done by inappropriate words that it's really encouraging to know that the right word at the right time is just, it's beautiful. It's not that we should never speak is that we should speak properly. You have heard some people who sometimes said something to you that really helped at the right moment. So the value of good words, 11 and 12. And then a faithful messenger in verse 13, a common theme in Proverbs, not so relevant for us. In fact, 13 is kind of funny because it's out of our era in two ways. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. You know, we are not so concerned about the cold of snow in the time of harvest, since we get air conditioning. (laughs) You know, doesn't mean quite as much to us. And faithful messengers are a little less relevant, since we have, you know, texting, and internet, and (laughs) telephones, and things like that. Back when they didn't even have the post office, you had to send messengers by someone. You wanted that someone to be faithful. Though I must say we still need to be faithful messengers in transmitting the word of God to others. You might think about the value of that. But you can really imagine back in that era what a blessing it was when you found somebody who could take your message, You got it right. And then in 14, what's this guy doing? About? Mm -hmm. Yes, he's telling you the great thing or things he's going to give you. But he doesn't give it. He just tells you he's going to. You ever know anybody like that? They make these promises of these great things they're going to do for you. And then they don't follow through. How does that make you feel?
1: At first you really appreciate them and then you're totally let down by what you gave your appreciation to them and then they didn't follow through.
0: Yes, (laughs) without revealing something you shouldn't. Has anybody got a good example of something that uh, somebody promised to give you and then let you down?
1: a text today that said I want a $1,000 Walmart gift card. <laughs> Whoa! How did
0: it spend? No waiting. Yeah. yeah. You might not have been all that excited even about the text since sometimes we're wise as to these kinds of things. But, but people will do that. Why would somebody do that? I mean, you know, at first it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would somebody promise to give you something if they weren't planning on following through? Okay. Yeah, they want to please you right at the time. You know, uh, sometimes you know people want the credit for for what they're promising only. Be really careful about what you tell somebody you're going to do, because it really is a letdown. You know, so, you know I, I can think of like. Uh, what if we promise someone we'll give them a ride somewhere? And then something else comes out, but, oh, I can't do it. We promise somebody we're going to go somewhere with them. And then it's like, oh, no, I, I don't think I will. Or, you know, other things like that. You know, we need to be really careful. You know, it's like, I think I may be able to do this. Then say that. I think I may be able to, but I'm not sure. Okay, great. But you commit to doing it because you don't want to disappoint them. But but you really haven't thought it through. You're really not sure it's going to work. That's really a letdown. It's much better. It's much better to say no if that's what you mean. You know, sometimes we don't want to make anyone unhappy, so we tell them what we think they want to hear, even though we know in the long run they're going to be unhappy. That's even more cruel. Comments and thoughts, yeah, Chris. We also do that. For the benefit of others, your guests, like P. Herod or some you know, the, making promises because it looked good to those around. Good point. Yeah, it makes us sound generous and thoughtful to other people, right?
1: There's someone in a management position at my work who tends to promise unrealistic deadlines of people under him because it makes him look good in, in the morning meeting, and, and when the minutes go out, everybody who just. <laughs> Uh, was committed to that as what are you doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or, how many times, with your, like, uh, you know, talking to somebody who's going to do a service for you, how many times do they promise to do it by a certain time, and then they don't do it? Has that ever happened to you, where, you know, you you were asking somebody to do something, oh yeah, I can get it done by Friday. And they don't do it. You don't even hardly expect them to. Uh, I was just talking to somebody just before I, I left in, in Brazil. That uh, they're the couple that's getting married next month. They bought an apartment. I know that sounds weird. We brand apartments. But they buy them. And uh, they bought an apartment that that is being built. And, and it was going to be done by June. Now it's October. And nobody expects it to be done by October they're already paying on it, but it's not being accomplished. But how many times do we get promises like that? Or make promises like that? Or the boss says, yeah, I'll give you a raise in, in 30 days. And then it's 60 days, 90 days, whatever. Things like that are very frustrating. Other thoughts? And then in 15, great lesson, by forbearance a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. That's really an interesting expression. You know, how hard is a bone? And how hard is a tongue? You know, you take the softest, softest organ and it breaks the hardest one. You wouldn't think that would be true, but it's much better and, and, and much more effective to win someone over with calm, patient speech than with harshness. You know, when you're too forceful and too harsh, it will hurt your persuasiveness. Now that seems wrong. It seems like a show of force will be more persuasive than patience and tenderness. But the truth is, will get a lot more accomplished with a soft answer. What happens when you, when you speak all harsh and forceful? What does the other person do? They get defensive. They get defensive. But if you're really calm and really patient, people will think they it's easier to persuade them. Have you noticed that? With your parents, It may depend, there are parents who aren't like this, but with your parents, if you really want something, does it work better if you just are really aggressive and really yell and scream and holler? Or is it better if you're really calm and really not aggressive? Usually it works better if you're calm, doesn't it? Because what do they tend to do if you're really yelling?
2: They tend to give it all. Well this kind of reminds me of the the uh, when we were little It's an old saying that uh no choosh is saying that in Burmese is that uh a, a sweet a sweet tongue is a weapon. Yeah. So the uh, the we we were taught that they you know, the little that you go, you always uh, you always uh, speak soft then you'll get what what you wanted and, and in other you can uh, easily like saying that that literally saying that it breaks. Bones. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That, that is a, how, a, you could use that as a weapon. Yes,
0: Yeah, it's a more effective weapon. You know, is it really something to learn and think about because it will help persuade people when you're not too forceful? It's really good. Other thoughts? Okay, 16 to 20.
1: you have found honey eat only enough for you lest you have your fill of it and vomit it let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house lest he he have his fill of you and hate you a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips whoever sings a song sings songs to heavy heart is like one who takes off his garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda.
0: 16 is fascinating. Do you like sweets? Have you ever had a food that you just loved and one day you just ate it to the point it made you sick? How did it make you feel after that about that food? I remember I did that one time when I was a kid with graham crackers. and it made me sick and I didn't even want to see a ground cracker for years <laughs> you know you can have too much of a good thing overindulgence will make honey repulsive you know we would think that if it's good then the more the better but the truth is you can have too much of a good thing and it will give you less pleasure not more pleasure if you're wise, you discipline yourself even with honey. You know? Because you realize moderation is needed even in pleasure. Does that make sense? You know, Just because something's good doesn't mean it's going to be good if you overdo it. In fact, if you just do have it too much, it loses all pleasure. Part of the pleasure in a lot of things is that it doesn't happen all the time, that we don't get it all the time. You know, that it's special. And so if, if honey is just, you know, you have it every meal, eventually it gets old. Since, since the Garden of Eden, man has wanted the last last ounce out of life. Uh, and, and, and we think that you know, if we can just grab all the fun and all the pleasure and all the sweets we can, then it's going to be ecstasy. And the truth is, it's nausea. I think it's a great lesson in all sorts of ways. Don't overdo the good stuff. Thoughts about that?
2: Yeah. This might be helpful, babe. The same principle applies to uh, to, to music. Uh, with me, you know, if I find a song I like uh, for so long, I just listen to that song repeat for like entirely like, like two days. And I, was, but then after that, I like I wouldn't like it. So now I just learned that I'm not allowed to listen to my favorite songs like twice a day, and then I'll like. It.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, isn't that true? Though you wouldn't think it would be, but even a really cool thing gets old, and then we don't even like it. It's, you know, God just understands us so well. You know, He knows exactly how we're built. And He doesn't want us to overindulge ourselves. Other thoughts about that verse? Cameron.
1: With some things, though, the more you get, the more it is better. Like, if you read more of God's Word, you're not going to get too much of that. And if you help out a friend and you help out somebody, you're not going to get too much of. Serving the Lord, and that's always building up, right?
0: Why is that there? Why is it different?
1: It's because it actually has fruit that comes
0: out of it. Exactly, it's fulfilling. All the other stuff is ultimately empty, and the more you get of them, the more you realize how empty they are. Yeah, good point. Talking this passage
1: about moderation, like all of our different points of life, everything from rulers, then to your interactions with people, and then in your speech, and now in your pleasures, and we're going to see in your interactions with your neighbors. It's like
0: all these points of life where you need to be discretion. You can tell in Proverbs, wisdom leads to moderation in many things. that's, that's definitely a theme of this book. And he does apply this principle in 17 to uh, dropping in on your neighbors. Uh, how does that work? You don't do all the time. Yeah, why not? I'm a little tired of you. Yeah, it's great to see you when you don't over, overdo it. You know, someone says guests like fish stink after three days. You know, who you really enjoy seeing when they drop in once in a while. If, if they kind of, you know, won't leave, uh, that can get kind of difficult. Be sensitive, use discretion. Don't intrude on people's privacy. You know, have you ever, I, I don't know, maybe you haven't had these experiences yet, but you know, the person who drops by and tells you 20 times they're leaving before they finally do. (laughs) It's like, okay, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) You know, even think about this. You know, there are times when maybe you know about a particular friend that if you invite them over, they're not going to leave. You know, you need to get sleep, you have something else you need to do, and you think, oh, I don't want to invite this person over, because if I do, you know, it will they won't leave till midnight. You know, do you want that kind of reputation? <laughs> you know, so be sensitive. I'm not saying, it's good for Christians especially to be together, and it's good when we can be in each other's homes. But be thoughtful about it. You know, be wise about it. And, and, and be sensitive to what other people are doing, and what their needs are. Too much of, of virtually even a good thing can have negative consequences. Comments.
2: Dan. I think there's also some helpful things we said about the being a homeowner or being the place, you know, before people are coming over. Just be honest with them. You know, if you don't want them coming over, uh, I think sometimes we feel like, well, you know, we make up some excuses or even we be some somewhat deceitful in saying well the reason why they can't come over. I think he needs to be honest with
0: them. You just, be really yeah, that is a good point. You know, in Brazil, they always say, "Say, uh, you know, it's early," and uh, you know, keep telling you, "Oh, it's too, it's early. Don't leave, don't leave." When they really mean leave, do you, do you hear them saying that? "Say but they don't always mean it's early. They mean, go ahead, but they're telling you because you're supposed to, for etiquette, oh, no, it's early, don't leave yet, but, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, If we were more frank with each other, it would probably be helpful. On the other hand, don't get your feelings hurt if somebody says, hey, listen, I really have some things I need to do, or it's just not convenient today, it's not best, or even says, "Hey, look, I appreciate your staying here, but now I need to go do some other things. You know, it'd be best for you to go, or whatever. Or even sometimes, well, if you want to stay, but I'm going to get busy. You know, I can't. I can't do this. Uh, that really probably is better, to be frank about it. Thoughts and comments? Sometimes when. I was
1: dating Ariel and I was staying kind of late. Chris and David just said, Well, we're going to bed. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know how that is. Yeah. <laughs> but Sometimes, I mean, even even in our relationships, you know, do you you have some friends, maybe some Christian friends that you really enjoy being with, that are encouraging to you, you have a lot in common with. But do you find that if you're with them? Constantly, that even that sort of gets old and you get to where you don't enjoy them as much. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for not just, you know, sticking together night and day. (laughs) You know, give each other some space. I noticed in college, now I don't know if this is quite as true with girls as with guys, but I noticed in college that, you know, you could have a friend that you really enjoyed and you really liked, but then if you became roommates, then it was like too much and it wasn't as good (laughs) you know it's like well if we get to see each other now and then if we're living in the same room it's another matter I know for me my best roommates were were guys that we didn't try to do a whole lot together we kind of lived very separate lives that worked out better other thoughts okay and then verse 18 How dangerous it is to be a false witness against your neighbor words can do horrible things I mean they can they can get a person executed for that matter and they can certainly assassinate your character and crush your reputation and and hurt your friendships be careful to be absolutely honest Uh, and do not ever say something false about someone and then verse 19, the unreliable person. What would be bad about having a bad tooth? Yeah, and just the moment you bite into something good, oh, you know, that's really annoying. Or, or kind of a lame foot, you know, it's going to give way on you just when you need it to be solid and strong. Well, that's that's a friend who lets you down. Just when you get in trouble and you need him, he's not there for you. So that's that's a good lesson. And uh, then verse twenty. This is weird. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart? What's the deal there? What's that say? Wrong.
2: The opposite of horse
0: Uh Okay. Doesn't fit. Isn't in the right timing. Isn't appropriate. You know, when you are really sad, what do you want from somebody else? Take them seriously and comfort, probably. Do you, if if, 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 you know, some loved one just died, do you want somebody coming in and saying, oh, let, let's go have some fun. Let's go do this. You know, oh, did you hear what happened to me the other day? It's like, well, wait a minute. It's you need, you want to know they understand what you're going through. You may want them at some point to do something, you know, more uh, to distract you, to get your mind off. Of. But but this person who comes in when you're really down, you know, singing this cheery song, let's be happy. It's like they don't understand what you're going through. They don't seem to to empathize with you. Kind of an irresponsible attempt to cheer someone up. Uh, so do what is appropriate in the circumstances. Be sensitive to people's needs and feelings, and uh, don't appear to minimize what they're going through. I think that's the point. You don't want to feel like the person just doesn't understand and doesn't hardly care. Thoughts and comments on those.
2: 21 to 26. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat, And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head. And the Lord will reward you. The not wind brain for brain, and the back, the back biting tongue and angry contempts. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well, is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Okay. In 21 and
0: 22, what should you do with your enemy?
2: Give him food and water.
0: Yeah! Be nice to him! And what will that do to him?
2: Keep burning coals of fire on his head. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) He'll be mad when you're not fighting back.
0: Yeah, why? A lot of hot head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hot in one sense. It's frustrated. Nothing frustrated. Embarrassed? Embarrassed. Ashamed. <laughs> guilty. You know, I mean when you're really nice to the person who's really mistreating you, it's kind of embarrassing for him. You know. It, it burns his conscience, because you're not fighting back, because you're actually being nice back. And it's like, ooh, you know, it just it's really hard. It, it, it makes you feel more guilty. Can you think of an example in the Bible where someone was nice to their enemy and it made their enemy feel guilty? David and Saul, when
1: Saul was trying to kill David, and David was nice to him.
0: And what did Saul do?
1: Saul like, I'm in the fault here. Please forgive
0: me. Can you believe Saul said those things? I mean, when you think how much Saul hated David's guts, and how much he was apt to get him. He was almost obsessed with that. And the fact that David twice had the chance to kill him and didn't, both times... Brought Saul the feeling guilty. If you would not have thought Saul would have ever felt guilty about trying to kill David, but David's kindness to Saul at those times even brought him to feel remorse, at least for the moment. Isn't that amazing? It, it's amazing what being really kind to some enemy will do. That's the best way to win the over. It's just. It's again, it's not what seems natural. What do you want to do to your enemy? <laughs> yeah, hurt them. Mistreat them. I'm gonna do what, you know, I'm gonna pay them back. They mistreat me, I'll mistreat them. After all, how will they ever learn if I don't do that? thats that kind of what we think? And, and and Solomon is saying wisdom teaches this just the opposite of you know, it's really, there's so many things in Proverbs that don't seem right, but God knows more than we do. Thoughts and comments on that one? Brad? Right. It's kind of like Jesus talked about, if you love those who love you, you know, what reward have you, even the tax collectors do that, and it takes someone with a strong character to actually do good your enemy. You're exactly right, yeah, Ralph.
2: Yesterday I was movie, movie, uh, watching a movie, and it's uh, in, in the movie like it was uh, uh, like back in I think the Europe, uh, the uh, back in uh, the or whatever. Like the Christian was slurring, uh, we are Christian and all the Greeks and all the people in, in the city. And I was thinking, and then my, my, and then my brother come and kind of said, "Okay, look at that Christian man." And it's like, okay. Uh, so I was thinking, how does this all the the whole centuries and centuries of you the uh, you know. People were like slaughtering people in the name of Jesus, and no one come and raise up and say, "Oh wow, the, 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 we're not uh, we're not doing right. This is not what you know the Christian supposed to do." No one said that for it, it was repeating generation after generation, and it was funny because God said uh, the Jesus said, "If somebody slept you, then turn to the, the right side. It is it is not saying." And I I was just noticing that how ignorant that people can be. It could be every single one doing it and you just doing it, but not knowing. And then I read through the Bible and it doesn't say anything about, like I do not see a single word about the Jesus teaching to to conquer a kingdom physically. Not a single word. And then yet there's uh, centuries of darkness on earth.
0: Yeah, you remember when Peter tried to defend Jesus when he was arrested by cutting off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, you know, put up your sword. You know, I don't have a kingdom where we fight with things like this. And yet people have for centuries tried to defend Christianity with the sword. It just makes you see how people use God and use Christianity for their own goals. It's an easy thing to do. And here, this passage in Proverbs, remember where this is at in the New Testament? Some of you got it in your margin, don't you? Romans 12. It's what Paul used in Romans 12 to talk about how we should treat our enemy. So both New Testament and Old Testament, God's always said, you know, show kindness to your enemy. It's the right thing to do. After all, if God treated his enemies the way we treat ours, where would we be? <laughs> you know? Other thoughts? Okay, in 23, you see the damage done by slander and, and, and backbiting. You know, it really hurts us. In 24, he goes back to one of his favorite themes, uh, how you just can't live with a cantankerous wife you know better to live in the corner of the roof better to live most anywhere uh, in a cramped roof than in a spacious house with a a woman who's always complaining Um, so that's uh, something to keep in mind and uh, then verse 25 this is really cool like cold water to a weary soul so it's good news from a distant land now you think about even a little bit more for them than for us, how hard it was to get news from a distant land. You know, they didn't have the instantaneous forms of communication, so maybe you'd go for a long time without having news from somebody you really cared about in a faraway place. And then you hear about them or from them, and it's it's good news, how would that make you feel? Do you remember some times when Paul got good news? What are some passages where he got good news about others?
2: Thess- uh First Thessalonians
0: three. Yeah. Oh man, he said, "Now we live." You know, it's like his life was in suspense, waiting on Timothy to come back with news of how the uh, Thessalonians were doing. It was such a relief to him. You just see, he was overjoyed. Remember another time when Paul was really overjoyed on getting some news that was good? Philippians? Philippians, what news?
1: Well, I was thinking maybe more about the Philippians hearing about Epaphroditus. Okay, yes.
0: Yeah. And, and their concern for him, yes. Think about another time when Paul got really good news. 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians, like 7 particularly. He mentions in some other passages in Corinthians Corinthians when, when he met Titus. And Titus had good news about how the Corinthians were doing. And he was so worried about that. You know, there are times, we've got good communication with Brazil, but there are places and people that I only see occasionally that I don't hear news from. And sometimes, like every once in a while, with churches I'm close to, like I have some communication from somebody, with somebody from that church. Like sometimes I don't want to even ask. How certain people are doing, you know, because it's like, well, I'm worried that maybe they're not doing well. And then if I find out they're doing really good, it's like, oh, that's so awesome. It just lifts up your day. You feel so much better. And so you I think this is a really true principle in lots of ways. Comments and thoughts on this. And then twenty-six. You know, a man who compromises his principles before the wicked is just such a letdown. Like a trampled spring. You know, you think of a spring, it's bringing forth this cold, refreshing water, then you trample and soil it. It's just such a waste. Or a polluted well, you can't even drink the water out of it. You know, that's the righteous man who caves in and turns wicked. You know, you just feel like, what a letdown. You know, um, can you think of, in the Bible, a righteous man who ended up being corrupted by wickedness? Solomon? Yes, I think that's an ironic, isn't it? Solomon himself ended up being a an unfortunate fulfillment of this passage. You know, let his wives you know, bring him to compromise about idolatry. Comments and thoughts on these? All right, 27
1: and 28. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Like a city that is broken into and without walls, is a man who has no control over his
0: spirit. All right, So, don't eat too much honey. Don't try to exalt yourself. And then in 28, you know, the man who has no self-control, the man who's not able to control his temper is so easily defeated. You know, it's like a city that doesn't have any walls. It's just going to be overrun. A man who has no self-control is going to end up being defeated. You know, the ability to control our emotions and to act, on wisdom is so important even in our own self-defense. Comments and thoughts? You really had something about honey while he was writing this chapter. <laughs> you wonder if he'd just been eating something sweet, don't you? <laughs> yeah. There are several proverbs that talk about honey. Other thoughts? Alright, let's take a break for a few minutes and then we'll
1: work on chapter